Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. It's great to be with you this morning in sunny Doncaster. Especially now there's a bit of heat in this room. I know we're called to suffer for the gospel, but hey, come on. I might get my jacket off in a little while, if it continues to warm up a bit. We, uh, you know, I didn't think I knew anybody in Doncaster, but uh, apart from um, Owen and Morwenna. But uh, it was great last night, I met a few, I met Bastian and uh, Colin and Carrie here. I get here and find Bob, who I've known for years, Scottish Bob. He used to be known as. They don't call you that here, do they? They're not so... Not so nice here. Well, anyway, it's great to be here. I'm John. I'm married to Pam. I'm Scottish. She's Irish. We have three kids. They're a bit confused about their identity. Uh, Our oldest one is 29. Youngest is 22. They are both married. We have a son, he's 25, who's not married, he's a lovely young lad, and I'm on the hunt for a good wife, so I'm just having a look around everywhere I go here. But, uh, hey, turn to the person next to you and tell them, you're a walking miracle, you are. Okay, that's great. Don't get too enthusiastic about it. If you have a Bible with you, would you like to turn to Psalm 139? Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such want, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go? from your spirit where can I flee from your presence if I go up to the heavens you are there if I make my bed in the depths you are there if I rise on the wings of the dawn if I settle on the far side of the sea even there your hand will guide me your right hand will hold me fast if I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Now listen to this bit. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not 
hidden from you when I was secret place, when I was made and it was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Or, how precious are your thoughts concerning me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I, am, when I awake, I am still with you. You are a walking miracle. Believe it or not, there are thousands of things going on in your body this morning, this very second, that you're not even aware of. Breathing, digesting, converting energy, repairing damaged cells, maintaining a complex balance of hormones. By the way, have you heard about the latest scare about there being female hormones in beer? They tried this experiment, researchers, they got together a hundred men at random. You know, just a kind of random selection of men. And they gave them ten pints of beer each. And they observed that as they drank these ten pints, that they became more emotional. And they, and they started to talk more. And their spatial awareness was diminished considerably. Sorry about that. But, uh, I didn't hear that. That's not my... Yeah, that's the spatial awareness thing, you see, that's it. Anyway, it is incredible. Everything that's going on there. Every second, apparently, there are six trillion reactions taking place in every cell in your body. Today, your heart will pump around 100,000 times. It will push blood around your blood vessels that if they were stretched end to end would go four times round the equator. Your lungs will take around 23,000 breaths, moving some 440 cubic feet of air. And you wonder why you're knackered. In his book, The Arithmetic of Life, George Schaffner calculates the mathematical probability that you would be you. You get 23 chromosomes from each of your parents. And apparently, if you work that all out, the odds on you being you are 1 in 100 trillion. Now when you factor in that the same is true of your parents and their parents and so on before then and so on, then you are faced with the inescapable conclusion that each person is an amazing miracle. You are invaluable and irreplaceable because you are absolutely unique. There never has been, nor will there ever will, will be. Isn't there a song like that? For there never, there's a, isn't it, can't yeah? Never be another you. I think that's the, that's the punchline, isn't it? Yeah, that gives me age away, that one, doesn't it? So, the truth is, when God made you, he did throw the mold away. But before you let that get to your head, that's not a tribute to you so much as it's a tribute to the God who made you. And uh, believe it or not, he thinks you're pretty amazing. God celebrates your existence. Says that he exalts over you with loud 
singing. But the problem is that's not how most of us see ourselves, is it? That's not, we don't wake up in the morning and think, hey, God is really celebrating my today existing. And that's because most of us have grown up seeing ourselves, not so much through God's eyes, but through the eyes of other people. In particular, we, we tend to form our view of ourselves from how the most important people in our lives see us or think about us or how we think they perceive us. And so as a result of that, a lot of us end up with a pretty distorted view of ourselves. Is that right? Does that happen to any of, any of you? I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but it's a common thing, isn't it? I meet people every day that, are, that have just grown up with a very distorted view of themselves because of a father or some authority figure or parents or brothers or sisters or peers or whatever that have, that have said things to them that they've internalized and they have formed a view of themselves based on that and not on the truth of who they really are and how God sees them. It's like, I don't, know if, I don't know if they still do this, but I remember when I was a kid, they used to have these traveling fairs that went around towns, and uh, they would always have a hall of mirrors. Anybody remember those? So you'd pay, people would pay good money to go into this hall of mirrors and stand in front of all these mirrors and see a distorted view of themselves. We didn't get out much in those days, so that was a big treat when you got to do that. Uh, the thing, but the thing is, you knew that what you were looking at wasn't real. But a lot of people are living in a hall of mirrors and they don't even realize that that's what's happening. I read a book a while back called The Whisper Test and uh, told the story of a girl named, a little girl named Mary Ann Bird. And she was born with a lot of disabilities. She, she, had, she was deaf in one ear, she had a cleft palate, a disfigured face, crooked nose and uh, her speech was garbled as a result of all of these disabilities. and So she grew up, you know, with a lot of problems. And add to that the emotional damage that was caused by all her classmates making fun of her. They made no secret of how they saw her. And when her classmates would ask her, what happened to your face? Rather than tell them the truth, she would say, I fell on some glass and cut my face because it somehow seemed more acceptable for that to have been caused by an accident rather than to say that she had been born that way. One of the, the sort of worst moments in her life was every year in the school that she was at they had put an annual hearing test. And uh, what, the way they would do that is that the teacher would call out the kids one by one to stand in front of her desk and they would have to cover up one ear at a time and she would whisper something to them and if they were able to hear and to repeat what the teacher said then they passed the test. So she would cheat on this test because she just couldn't cope with being humiliated every year and so she would cover up her one good ear, she would pretend to cover it up but cut her hand so that she could hear what the teacher was saying. So this is what she was doing every year. And then one year she was in the class of, uh, of a teacher called Miss Leonard, who was very popular with all the kids, a very you know, sparkling, 
warm, friendly lady. And so it came to the annual hearing test and she called the kids out one by one and it came to Mary Anne's turn to be called out to her desk. So she went out there and did what she usually did was cup her hand across her ear and she heard Miss Leonard whisper these words, I wish you were my little girl. Wow. Those seven words totally changed her life. Completely, from that day on, she was completely different. And the reason was, is that she began to feel loved. And you know, it's so true for all of us that what really opens us up to change in our life isn't knowing what we're supposed to be or what we're supposed to do. We all know that pretty well enough really, don't we? The thing that really opens us up to change is when we know that we are loved. And you see, from that day on, that little girl began to see herself, not her life wasn't defined by her limitations and her disabilities, but her life began to be defined by the fact that she felt loved. And she began to see a future for herself that wasn't shaped by her limitations, but was a wider and brighter future. And that's what happens to every one of us when we begin to experience the love of God in our lives. Isn't that right? You see, we love because God first loves us. It's not that we somehow wake up one day and just make a decision that we're going to be wholehearted for God. It's it's as we begin to experience the Father's love in our lives that, that that response is awakened in us. And that's true not just for little girls or people with lots of hormones, but that's true for, for tough men as well. I've known men 50, 60 years old that have been melted when they begin to experience the Father's love for the first time in their lives. That is a life changing thing. Have you experienced the Father's love this morning? Because you know you can be Christian for years and years and years and just never really know that you're loved. And you are. That verse, you know, in 1 John, isn't it, you know, talks about how lavish, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons of God, or that we should be called children of God. It's, it's the lavish love of the Father that, we, that I want to talk to you a bit about this morning. How great is the love that the Father has lavished, has lavished on us. Well, that's an incredible word, isn't it? Lavished. How, how often in life do you meet with a lavish response from someone. It's an unusual thing, particularly in Scotland, to meet with a lavish response. Isn't that right, Bob? <laughs> but God is lavish in his, in his love. It's, and God wasn't just content to say, I wish you were my child. No, he went ahead and ransomed you and adopted you, and brought you into his family, and calls you his child. For that is what you are. Now, 
we are children of God. That's what we are. What we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All of that is guaranteed to us because God has lavished this love upon us to make us His children. One of the best windows, I think, we find in the Bible that gives us a a bit of a glimpse into this lavish love of the Father is the story that is usually called the prodigal son. And uh, most of us are familiar with that story. Actually, it's a story that's about two lost sons, not just one. See, both sons were lost, actually, in their own way. Both were alienated from the love of the Father. Uh, but even more than that, it's a, it's a story of a father and his reckless, extravagant, self-giving love for both his sons. You know that most of us are familiar with the story how the younger son goes to the father and says, Father, give me my inheritance. Um, you know, I just I want to just get what's mine and, and get out of here. Uh, actually, in our culture, that doesn't, that doesn't come across to us as horrendous a thing as it was. Effectively, that was like the son saying to the father, I wish you were dead. Because that's usually when you get your inheritance, isn't it? But he couldn't wait for the father to die. He wanted it now. Now, the father's wealth was not tied up in stocks and shares and ISAs and investments. It was tied up in what? His land. His livestock. So for him to release the share of the son's inheritance, he had to, he had to sell. He had to, to sell a large part of what was his. Of his land, of his livestock. This was a very public affair. Everybody in the community would have known exactly what was going on. And this was a community in which honoring your parents was a very, very, very important thing. Unlike the way that our culture has become. You know, there it was to dishonor your father in that way would have been a, a, an absolutely reprehensible thing to do. And uh, there was a guy a few years back went around a similar culture in the Middle East, Syria I think it was, where that is still the case, where people still function this way. And he just went around and asked everywhere he went, had, he, had, had people ever heard of anything like this ever happening? And eventually he managed to track down two cases where something like this had happened, where the son had gone to the father and said, I want to leave home, give me what's mine, and I'm just going to go. In one case, the father was so broken hearted by it, that he died within a couple of weeks. In the other case, he was so outraged, that he beat the living daylights out of his son, and threw him out of the house. Which is what most people in this story, hearing that, hearing Jesus, Jesus tell this story, that's what they would have expected to happen. But this father in the story didn't do that. Instead he chose to bear the pain. And to do what his son asked. And to give him his share of the inheritance. And you know the rest. He went off and squandered it. And eventually he came 
to his senses and he returned and he came back to throw himself on, his, on the Father's mercy. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm as bad as the son in the story. For the first 27 years of my life, I took everything that God had given me. This wonderful body. I think it's pretty good. The talents, the opportunities, everything that God had put in my lap. I took it and I spent it on my own pleasures. I used my body in ways that just was about pleasing myself. So in every sense I was just as wicked and bad as the son in this story. I had offended God and sinned against him just as badly as he had. And so I think this is a story that certainly applies to me and I think applies to just about every one of us. And what we see happening when the son returns to the father, I think is true for every one of us as well. It's how the father lavishes his love upon you. And there's something that you, I want to show you in this story this morning that, it, that applies, I believe, to every one of us and shows us in practical ways what it means to have the love of the Father lavished upon us. Are you interested in this? Let me take my jacket off. I'm beginning to get into this a bit now. So would you turn to, uh, to the story in question? You'll find it in, uh, in Luke chapter 15. Let me, uh, let me just start reading at verse 17. When he came to his senses, this is the younger son, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Man. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me... Oh! But the father interrupted him and said to his servants quick bring the best robe and put it on his put it on him put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found so they began to celebrate but not everybody was happy for a start, there was the fattened calf. Well, it's hard work getting you lot to laugh, I'll tell you. The older son, of course, wasn't very happy, but we'll leave him out of it this morning. I want to just zoom in on that one verse that shows us three wonderful things that the Father's love means for you and for me. Verse 22, it says, Bring 
the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. There's a robe, a ring and sandals. In these three things, Jesus incredibly, amazingly sums up the Father's provision for us to walk on this earth in his name as his children. And this is how he welcomes every one of his children home. There's a robe, a ring and sandals. Have you received the robe and the ring and the sandals this morning? That's what I want to look at. Each one of those represents a wonderful gift from your Heavenly Father that provides for you, provides for your security, your identity and your sense of meaning, significance, purpose in life. First of all, let's look at the robe. We find in Isaiah 61 verse 10 a verse which says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God for He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in... Anybody finish that? In a robe of righteousness. He has arrayed me in a robe of the robe righteousness. Represents the righteousness that is provided through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Which is the only ground for our security in life. To be righteous simply means to be to have a right standing, to be brought into a right standing with God. It's like maybe at one time you've had a friendship with someone, but you do something that hurts and offends them. And, and the relationship is broken. And you want to do something to make it right. That's how it is with God. Our sins have separated us from God. The relationship is broken. The, the son comes and he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven. Heaven is just like another way of saying I've sinned against God. And actually every sin, even a sin against another person, ultimately is a sin against God. Father, I have sinned against God and against you. And the penalty for sin is death. There is, there is no way that you can make things right in your relationship with God. You can't do it. The gap is too great. The debt is too great. There is no way that you can possibly make things right. It's like having a massive debt that you could never possibly repay. But the good news is that on the cross, Jesus paid that debt in full. He took our sins and now we get His righteousness. So the moment that you turned to Jesus, the moment that you yielded your life to Him, that you were born again, then when God looks at you, He no longer sees you as guilty. As the slate's wiped clean. It's washed away no matter what you've done. No matter how badly you have messed up. And some of us have messed up pretty badly. Actually, some of us have messed up worse than even we realize we have. That's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus has paid the price for everything that you have done to offend God and to sin against Him. He covers you now in a robe of righteousness. Isn't that an amazing thing? Eh? You know, what God, God never promised 
that when you became a Christian, that everything in life would go fantastically. I don't know where we get that idea from. But he did give you a robe of righteousness. That you can stand before God, forgiven, accepted, clean. He didn't give you that robe so that you could walk around feeling holier than thou or superior to other people because you're not. We don't deserve that robe any more than the son in the story deserved the robe. It's a gift. It's a lavish, extravagant gift from the Father. The purpose of it is that so we can have a relationship with God. So that we're brought into a right standing with Him. It's so that we can approach God with confidence knowing that He wants to bless us and do good to us. Even when you wake up in the morning feeling absolutely I nearly said a rude word there. I, I know I can say it in my church but I'm not sure if I can say it here. So I'll, I won't say that. When you feel really bad about yourself when you feel ashamed, when you feel like you want to hide, you've still got the robe of righteousness. You see, the issue isn't what you feel like. The issue is how God sees you. That you're wearing the robe of righteousness. You know the hymn that we sometimes sing, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my soul, my sinful soul, is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. That's what it is to wear the robe of righteousness. And you know, I'm convinced of this. Our greatest need is not to pray more to read the Bible more, to confess and repent more. All of those things are good, but not, for goodness sake, to try and make yourself acceptable to God. Your greatest need is just to be confident in the robe of righteousness that God the Father gives you because of what Jesus has done on the cross. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God for He has clothed me in garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Make sure that you're dressed for success. That you're wearing the robe and the garments of salvation and righteousness that God has given you. I wonder this morning are you someone who, who is, tends to be plagued with doubts about how God sees you? Are you living with a sense of shame? Do you ever feel disgusted with yourself? Could you be a, a tour guide for guilt trips? You know, I, I know a lot of Christians who struggle after years and years of still feeling ashamed and unworthy and guilty. The answer is the robe of righteousness. To receive it by faith and to wear it with humility. You see, to every, this is the answer to every accusation from the devil that you're not good enough. The truth is, you're not. He's absolutely right. We're actually much worse than we even think we are. But, but, Jesus is sufficient. His blood, 
is sufficient. And God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me and pardon you. Isn't that good news? You can be confident in approaching God as a child is confident in approaching a father that he knows absolutely dotes on him. That is how God sees you this morning. First of all, there's the robe of righteousness. Then there's the ring. Put a ring on his finger. What was that? The ring isn't just a bit of bling. You know, so hey, let's get decked up a bit here. We're going to have a party. It's, uh, again, it's about, it's about identity and belonging. In this culture, the, in the story that Jesus told, the ring was, would have been the family signet ring. In that culture, men didn't sign their names, but they stamped a seal with their signet ring. So the ring represents the restoration of the son to his rightful place in the family. (laughs) That's what it's about. It's about the restoration of all the privileges of sonship. Hey, it's Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Quick, the robe of righteousness. Then it's, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Quick, put a ring on his finger. So just as the robe is the answer to guilt, the ring is the answer to that sense of having been alienated from his rightful place in the family. What does this mean for us? Just as the ring seals the relationship of the son in the family, so the father gives everyone. How does the father seal our place in his family? By the Spirit. He gives us His Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal. That's like God's stamp of ownership. The promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. This is brilliant. This word deposit or pledge is how we translate the Greek word arabon. It tells us that the Holy Spirit is like a down payment or a pledge of all that is ours in Christ. If you have the Spirit, you've got everything. He is the, the, the guarantee of our inheritance as God's children. And, you know, that same word arabon is still used by Greeks today for an engagement ring. That's exactly, it's it's exactly the same thing. So the ring represents, it's a promise. That's what it is, it's a pledge. And it represents all the, if you like, that comes to us through the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship, who comes into our hearts and causes our spirits to cry, Abba, Father, we know that we are sons, that we are part of the family. We're not just wearing a robe of righteousness that means we're accepted and we're forgiven. God lavishes more upon us. He actually brings us into the family and makes us sons and confers upon us all the rights and privileges of sonship. It's absolutely amazing. The, the love that God has fathered on, that, that lavished on us that we should be called the sons of God. 
Actually, it's interesting, the robe and the ring. You need to have the robe before you can use the ring. There's a story in Acts 19 of an incident where some people tried to use the ring, but without wearing the robe. Seven brothers, the sons of Siva. You might have read about that. They had sort of heard all and seen all this stuff that Paul was doing, going around casting demons out of people. So they thought, hey, we'll get into this. So they uh, got stuck in and, and they started trying to cast a demon out of this guy. And they said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. And the demon said to them, Jesus I know, and I've heard of Paul, but who are you? <laughs> and he beat the living daylights out of the seven of them. So, you see, they tried to use the ring, they tried to use the authority of the sons of God, but without having the robe, without being in that right standing that gives them the position to begin to use that authority. So first the robe, then the ring. First the righteousness from God that comes through faith in Christ, then the authority of a son that comes from God's spirit in our inner being. See, only when these things are real to us, when you know that you're forgiven, when you, are, when you rejoice greatly in the Lord, when you know that you have the authority of the sons of God. When you're secure in the Father's love. Only then. Truth is. That you're ready to wear the sandals. What do the sandals talk about? Father. The son says in the story. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. His next line. If the father had let him get it out. Was make me like one of your hired men. Now hired men weren't given sandals by the boss. Sandals were given to the sons' household. They equipped the sons to go about on the father's business. So the sandals speak of purpose and calling and significance. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So we walk out in the sandals sharing the love that God has shown us in words and in deed. It tells us that God is committed to us the message of reconciliation that we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We talked about this last night about how God's word to us is go. That's, that's what God is saying. Now whether you cross a continent or just cross the room, you need the sandals. And you can't really wear the sandals if you're not filled with God's love. If you don't know who you are in Christ, then what good news have you got to bring to anyone? You know Isaiah says how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of them who bring good news. The sandals are what we wear when we're taking the good news out. But you've got to know who you are. You've got to know that you're forgiven. You've got to have experienced the Father's love before you can start to share it with other people. Would that be right? 
Does that make sense? But it is an incredible privilege to do that. So there we are. I'm done. Oh, I'm definitely done. So where are you this morning with these three gifts? These three wonderful provisions that the Father has made for you. His child, who He loves so lavishly. In my experience, far too many Christians settle for the robe. I'm forgiven, I'm going to heaven. But God has so much more for us than this. He wants us to know that we're sons. That we have the authority of the sons of God. And He wants us to begin to step into the good works that He has prepared in advance for us to do. As the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. Let me finish this morning with a suggestion. I would imagine... How many of you have a, usually have a quick check in the mirror before you go out in the morning? All right. Most of us have a quick check in the mirror before we go out in the morning. What about getting into the habit of asking yourself every morning before you set out, am I wearing the robe, the ring, and the sandals? Just take a few minutes and, and begin to thank God. Begin to say, Thank you, Lord, that you made me, that I am so wonderfully and fearfully made. Thank you that you have given me this body with which to glorify you. Thank you that you have made me your child. Thank you that I am forgiven and accepted. Thank you that you have given me your Holy Spirit to empower me to love you and worship you and serve you and bring the good news to other people. Thank you that you have created good works. That even today you've got stuff lined up for me to do. Now come on Lord, let's go. And let's live this day together for the glory of Jesus. Be the walking miracle that God has made you to be. Amen? Thank you for having me. Nice to be here with you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 